Hello and welcome to the In Publishing podcast. My name is James Evely and I'm the editor of In Publishing. My guest this time is Mike Sewell, Managing Director at CPL, a customer publishing agency which celebrates its 25th birthday this year. Mike has worked at the company since 2008 and has just completed a four-year management buyout. Mike tells us about what has and hasn't changed over the last 25 years. I guess the specific skill sets have evolved and changed, but that principle of telling great stories and really focusing on the story first has stayed the same. About how it's not enough just to create good content. You know, we all love making good stuff, but it's really important to get it out there. So make sure you're investing. If you're a membership organisation, are you investing sufficient time, budget, resource into actually promoting that content to uh, make, make sure that people engage with it? And how he sees the future balance between home and office working. Like a lot of organisations, we sort of probably see the office for that kind of heads up and heads together opportunities when when people can can collaborate and can share information. And then the heads down side, when you just want to get on and get something written or get on and do a bit of coding, will be will probably be better done from home. So it's just working out how we do that, amongst many other things. But first, a quick word about our valued sponsors. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Advantage CS, a leading global provider of subscription and membership management software. Capabilities include marketing, sales, payments, and customer relationship software for publishers, membership associations, and information providers. For more information, go to advantagecs.com. Mike Sewell is Managing Director at CPL, a customer publishing agency based in Cambridge, creating print and digital content for membership and professional bodies, commercial organisations, brands, governments and charities. They have 20 regular clients, including the National Autistic Society, the Camping and Caravan Club and the Market Research Society. Mike, welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Thanks, James. Now, I understand that CPL is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, so um, many congratulations. Um, how is what you do today different to when the company first started? I guess there's um, there's some things which have absolutely stayed the same, um, which is kind of our focus on um, storytelling and storytelling by trained, experienced journalists. Um, the, the, the two people who founded the company came from a background. One was editorial, one was production and design. So that focus on words and pictures is still absolutely fundamental to everything we do. Um, we have a real commitment to editorial excellence. Um, please say we still employ sub-editors and proofreaders um, to make sure that we're really maximising the kind of content that we create and really maximising the messages that we create. Um, and also in terms of things that are the same, um, print is still a big part of what we do. Um, obviously, 25 years ago, it was pretty much all that we did. Um, that's not the case now by any means, but um, it still, still plays a, a key role in that kind of content mix. Um, and also, the majority of the the work that we do is via retained contracts, which generate recurring revenues. And um, I think that's been a business model that served the business pretty well over the 25 years. But also, of course, a lot has moved on. Um, we call ourselves a content marketing agency now, whereas back in those days, we were definitely a contract publisher. Uh, the firm, as I said, was originally set up by two people. We now have more than, well, 50 people um, on, on our books now, plus a whole range of freelancers who support us as well. 
I guess. I'm oh, sorry. In terms of the skill sets of the people you employ, presumably that's changed slightly. I'm thinking with obviously the the onset of you know the digital side of things. Yeah, the, clearly the um, and I think the I think we're still very focused on employing people who are who are primarily journalists and communicators, and that we get make that a real priority. But um, yeah, the the sort of skill sets have 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 moved on. We still have a, a lot of people who are um, who who focus on written journalism, but we also employ um, professional videographers, animators, um, digital marketers, um, and as well as. When we first started, we didn't offer um, advertising sales as a service. We also have a lot of media sales experts as well. So I guess the specific skill sets have um, have evolved and changed, but that principle of telling great stories and really focusing on the story first hasn't has, has, has stayed the same. And in terms of if you, if you look back over those 25 years, are there any particular learnings which leap out, any things which, which particularly stand out as things which um, are particularly important? Yeah, I think um, it's it is really important to be very clear about what your um, business purpose is, and to spend some time getting that right. We did that a few years ago, where we said, actually, let's stop and think about um, what, what our purpose is, and we said our purpose was that we help people belong. Um, and by those people, we meant all the audiences who who read or or watch or engage with our content. Um, the the clients who we work with to make them feel part of that CPL family and our employees. So it was that focus on really helping people belong and also a real clarity that whatever the content we're creating at the end of the day, it's, and however kind of technical it might be, or sometimes in quite sort of specific niches, it's still very much aimed at people who want to read, read and watch and listen to stuff that they're going to, um, they're going to want to engage with. I mean, other key learnings I obviously would be make sure you understand your audiences um, be very clear about those. Um, and for us as well, I think it's just really important. The first thing to do is to clarify what your message is and what you're wanting to communicate. And certainly that's our sort of message to our clients and then worry about the channels after that. Quite often it's someone might say, we want to, we want to do a video or we want to do a magazine, but they haven't actually stopped to think about what message they're trying to communicate. Is that quite a common scenario that, you know, a company will come to you with a, a rough desire to produce content, but maybe not having thought through exactly what they want to achieve with it? It can happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly not in every case, but I think I think there's always more time is needed than you might expect to say, hang on, let's just stop and work out why you're doing this, creating this piece of content now, whatever it's going to be, whether it's a one off or whether it's something that might continue for many years just make sure you're very clear about what the purpose of it is. Um, so, you know, I think that's something that we see quite a lot. And it's sometimes, you know, by nature, everybody wants to press on and um, get on and get something delivered. But it's really important to stop and um, just stop and ask yourself some quick key questions at the, at the start. And you say you're, the mission which you, you came up with a, a few years ago is to, to help people belong. Is that right? That's right, yeah. And has that... Coming up with that statement, has that helped provide a focus for your teams? Do they all kind of work towards that? Is that a, a defining aspect of their work? Yeah, I think they I think they really have bought into it. I think um, we've got quite a lot of people who've um, from a journalistic background. And if I'm honest, a few of them were perhaps a bit cynical about things like vision statements and mission statements and business purposes. But actually, I think everyone really has bought into into the principle of that. 
And and that principle, we work with a lot of um, the customers we work with tend to be, as you said, professional bodies, membership organizations, charities. So a lot of the content we are creating is about bringing people closer to the organization um, that we're creating the content for. So we can help them do that and really help them feel belong to that organization through the through the, the content that we're creating on their behalf. Okay. Now, I understand that you've just completed or in the process of completing a management buyout, which sounds very exciting. Um, can you talk us through the thinking behind that and your plans for the future? Yeah, so the agency was um, founded um, 25 years ago by, as I said, by two journalists. Um, and I joined, um, gosh, probably 10, 11, 12 years after that. So I've been I've been here for sort of half that time. And um, and I came in and joined and joined the board. And I think we we did a lot of good work, grew quite steadily. But by I guess by about 2016, um, it, we were kind of a, a sort of a three pronged management team, a, a three legged stool. And perhaps it had become a bit wobbly and we needed a bit of clarity on on the leadership um, of the company. Um, and we were very conscious that we wanted to um, bring through and have an opportunity to reward the good people in our in our senior team who were coming through and really making a difference. Um, and actually, the management buyout was a model that suited everybody because it allowed for kind of continuity um, and actually, you know, created very little disruption from the perspective of either clients of either clients or our employees. Um, so. Yeah, I think it was it was a it was a really good opportunity to sort of bring through the next generation and perhaps to to clarify that leadership piece and it and it made sense for um the other two guys as well. So it's been a been a good story. Um and what's great for us now is that over the past 4 years it's that the focus has been on the profits we've been making has been to pay off that debt. Um but now we're in a position to um to we haven't got so much debt so we're in a position to potentially do some some other interesting things. Anything, anything in particular, or is that all under wraps? <laughs> um, we're certainly looking around, looking for opportunities. Our focus for now is on organic growth and growing using this, the, the, the team we've got, because we've got such a strong team that we feel there's real opportunities to continue to grow this business. But, um, you know, if there was the right opportunity, we wouldn't rule out something like an acquisition or a merger if that was appropriate. But right now we're really focused on, on kind of um, actually taking a bit of time to look at our business um, and and spend a bit of time saying, okay, with the, the four year plan for the last four years has been to complete this MBO to complete the management buyout. What's going to be our priority for the next four years, and where's our focus going to be? So we want to take some time to actually make sure we really nail that because we feel there's there's a lot of opportunities potentially for this business. We want to make sure we take the right ones, um, and certainly in terms of our financial numbers, we're um, you know, we're currently regularly doing achieving sales of six to seven million with kind of ten percent profit margins. It would be great to um, grow that in the next few years. Um, but then also at the same time, you know, we want to make sure that we continue to keep on enjoying it um, and keep on being stretched, both as individuals, from my point of view, but also from from the whole of the team. It's a real balance between that kind of desire to be a lifestyle business and um, and to sort of be all out for growth and I think we've generally got the balance quite done the balance quite well over the last 25 years we want to make sure we carry on doing that sounds very exciting now if you look at the customer publishing market as a whole be it membership organizations charities brands um, what are the main trends you are seeing in terms of the volume and the type of content they want to produce for their members I think um, it was really interesting 
seeing what happened with COVID last year um, was that we, we what we saw was that in during you know when when the first COVID happened and the first lockdown was that actually we saw our our clients um, wanting to communicate if anything more um, with their audiences than ever and I think that was absolutely the right decision um, and I think that's been the case across a lot of the customer publishing industry in an in an uncertain world and never has the world been perhaps more uncertain than it was during the, the um, first few months of 2020 people are hungry for information and content especially when they're part of kind of membership organizations and they actually really lent on those the, the, those organizations perhaps more than they had done in the past so so that's a trend where we saw if anything more content happening um I think what we saw was we saw the most effective organisations where they mixed kind of the existing trusted channels such as magazines, newsletters, um, but also and tried some new ones. And then some of them have really taken off, as we've seen in the last year, including podcasts, obviously, animations, which we're increasingly creating for our clients, more webinars used much more effectively, I think, than they have been in the past. I, what we've seen from our our clients is they're really looking to build you know those communities really with you know with, with their members and they've they've i think there's been some really interesting initiatives over the last 12 months and some of the trends that were there before have just sped up in that time and do you find that you've been producing more podcasts because as you say podcasts are one of the things that have grown seemingly exponentially across the industry are, are you have you been yourselves producing a lot more yeah we've done we've we've certainly done we've done more podcasts and it's interesting we're you know, again, if you are talk about a change from 25 years ago to now, you know, 25 years ago when we were asking, as as, as you well know yourself, when we were asking our editors what they what they what their main role was, it was it was to deliver a, a, a printed magazine every month. Now we're asking our editors to do a much deliver across a, a broader range of channels. So so our editors will 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 host and and record podcasts um, and. You know, and also deliver webinars, host webinars, speak at events. It's a much broader role in a way. So we're we're certainly seeing opportunities there. Um, and again, I think it's um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting channel, and there's there's certainly opportunities to continue growing it. As with all um, digital content, um, of course, you've got to make sure you spend as much time on the as much time as you spend on creating it. You've got to make sure you're promoting it as well, and that's um, still something that I think lots of um, publishers and 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 membership organizations the one like the ones we work with are grappling with and has your print output um stayed about the same during covid because obviously demand in general for content might have gone up from your members is that the same with printers do they maintain their print frequencies and levels I i think to be honest i think you know um back in march 2020 i was you know i think like everyone i was very concerned about what 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 might happen and one of the one of my um, perhaps assumptions was that that our clients would want to um, reduce the amount of print they were doing. Um, that has happened in some cases. Sometimes it's been for practical reasons, such as their, the publications were sent to people's offices and people weren't there anymore. But most of them have have, um, have adapted and have started sending it to people's homes, as you know. Um, there have been a few examples where clients have looked at the frequency of print and uh, and are and are doing that. And I think COVID has probably accelerated that. And, you know, we are talked, we talk to all of our clients about the balance between print and other channels. And um, not many of them want to get rid of print altogether, but it's about how you get the right balance between, the, you know, complementary digital and print channels. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how, 
how things pan out in the next few in the next few months and years. I mean, our, our experience is that print has a really done right has a really important role to play, um, but obviously working alongside other channels and other other forms of distribution, basically. And where typically do membership organisations, um, I suppose your clients and prospective clients, where do they um, struggle with their content performance? What, what are the challenges they face and the areas where they sometimes you know, need extra help? Um, yeah, they, yeah. Obviously, it can be. <laughs> they do. They do sometimes struggle. I think. I think the, the the basic point comes back to that first principles about you need to align your content strategy and your planning with the broader marketing goals and communication goals of your organisation. And I think um, quite often we find that, that that's where where our clients might struggle. Um, and you, of course, when you're doing that, you've got to make sure you get buy in from your senior team. Um, sometimes I think. Some organizations have been creating magazines or other content for a long time, and the danger is they kind of lose track of what the purpose of it is. So I think they need to be very clear about that. Um, I think the other way that they, they often struggle is they just underestimate the challenge of um, creating consistently strong content. Um, sometimes they might create one, one piece of content that's quite good, but maintaining that momentum is really, really key. Um, and, you know, we'd be bound to say it, but I think that... Um, that by you know you can really do that well by employing experts and by you know using the basic journalistic and techniques that we use and that our teams use day in day out like effective not just not just the the content that you create but for example on a magazine not just the written content but also the headline stand first crossheads captions pull quotes so they absolutely working to the maximum and really doing a job in reinforcing the key messages and I think some of our clients particularly when they try to do some of this stuff themselves struggle there um and sometimes that you know it's there's i i i still see i think sometimes an excessive focus on how stuff looks um while losing track of what the messages are um i think that can be can be a challenge they lose they lose and we i think cpl has always been quite good about thinking about that balance between the visual look and actually the content um and i think again what i sometimes see i mean you know our obviously our clients do a great job but sometimes they need to stay focused on the needs of all their audiences you can you know sometimes it could be a few loud voices perhaps internal voices that um can hold sway excessively in some situations okay now from the perspective of a membership organization what would you say are the, the key components of a a well-rounded and comprehensive content marketing strategy i think we're uh, you know i i there's this sort of the old hero hub hygiene model um, still stands up pretty well. Um, you know, the hero stuff, when you really want to go big, got a really strong message, really maximize how you get that out there. Um, the hub content, and I guess that's perhaps what I was talking about earlier, the regular stuff that you're doing day in, day out, week in, week out, making sure that's the right quality, making sure it's engaging, making sure it's well put together um, and is 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 really it really does a job is really important and then the hygiene stuff which especially with kind of i think some custom customer publishing organizations membership organizations where it's perhaps a, a real specialism that um that, that the readers are in, interested in um it's making you sure you're still creating that in-depth perhaps more technical material that people will really want to search for so i think that's really important to start off with the the hero hub hygiene then you know it's going through the basics and you know a few things i'd say around that 
Are you absolutely key about who your key audiences are, what your communications priorities are? Make sure you're really you've got that nailed at the start. And then and then there's a few you know key words I would use. You know, plan. Um, have you got an annual content roadmap that everyone's buying into, including those understanding those messages and channels? Um, decide. A big question a lot of our, our, our clients is, is your um, content purely going to be a benefit for your members, for your kind of established audience who, who may already be paying subscriptions to be part of your organization? Or do you want to make it more of an acquisition tool to, um, to raise your profile and, and beyond that? So that's really important. Curate, I think, um, make sure you, if you've got a good story, you're telling it effectively across different channels. Um, and, you know, certainly we see opportunities in the way that you're talking about podcasts and what we're asking our editors to do to, to reinforce stories across different channels is really important. And then I think a point I made earlier, you know, absolutely promoting the uh, material that you have create. You know, we all love making good stuff, but it's really important to get it out there. So make sure you're investing. If you're a membership organization, are you investing sufficient time, budget, resource into actually promoting that content? to uh, make, make sure that people engage with it. Uh, and typically, how do membership organisations promote their content? Well, it, well I think one of the, the, the big um, the points, you know, say is some, some, of, some of our clients will keep their um, content in their own members area um, and then others make it more widely available and quite a lot have a, have a mix and a bit of a hybrid of both. Um, in terms of the the a lot of the membership organizations will still have a printed magazine, for example, so that that's quite easy for them to get out there. And it's a great reminder to their members of, of the fact that why they're paying their subs and it's something they, they, they receive every month or every couple of months, which is a real reminder of that in terms of the digital content. It's really interesting to see. I mean, they, they obviously use different, different channels. Well, I think, I think perhaps a few years ago, if someone had told me that e- email, and e-coms would still be such an effective channel for getting content out there. I would have questioned that, but it's, they still use that and it's still really effective. I see particularly in the, for commercially led content. Um, and then, you know, a lot of them are using social media and using other, other, other channels. Um, but I think as with all of us, we could all do more to be honest, to, um, to really make sure that, um, that the, what we're actually creating, then we go and talk about and shout about so that people can, can access it. I mean, t- talking about priorities and goals, it's probably hard to generalise. But if you look at membership organisations as a whole, what, what, what are the typical goals they might have um, when they come to you? What, what are they trying to achieve? I think um, they'd be talking to a kind of content marketing agency like us. I guess their, their, key, their key priorities are to retain the members they have and how can they use a content strategy to do that. That's really important. They want to maintain those numbers and um, perhaps use content to be a, a reminder for those members who might be wavering about whether they want to continue to be members that, that, um, that, it, that it's worth, worth continuing to be a member. Um, they will also come to us to, um, to help them with their, with their acquisition of members to, to create really good content that they can use to get out there and to encourage people to join their, their organization. So those are the two sort of priorities but um, I think increasingly um, they're seeing as well that the content we create is very good and can be used beyond just those audiences. Actually, it's a really good, um, for example, a, 
a beautifully put together magazine, printed magazine, is a is a great thing to show if you're going to um, to lobby a government minister or something, and to remind them of everything that that your organisation does is actually a really good marketing tool. So I think they can see how different channels can work really well for their marketing. And I think um, certainly in terms of social media, we all know that social media is okay, but if you haven't got some good content to promote. Um, or to sort of to use with it, it um, it can stop doing a job in terms of raising the profile of your organisation. So I think that a lot of our clients are finding that they're no longer just using, for example, in the sort of publishing world, just the, the content that we've written um, in their magazine, but they're using it beyond that. So I think that's a real opportunity for them. Well, in fact, that leads me on to the next question in terms of, you know, your clients and prospective clients. Um, and membership organisations, where, where do you see the main content marketing opportunities for them going forward? Things that they could do more of or or new technologies or, or new platforms or, or, or the like? I think there's um, I think there's 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 definitely opportunities everywhere. I still I still think that in, in terms of, you know, whichever platform they're on, whichever channel they're on, they need to stop and think about what their message is and make sure they're really clear about that. Um, and also understand what they're using content for. Um, and certainly the type of the, the majority of the type of content that we create um, doesn't lead straight to a sale, um, but it does play a crucial role higher up that sort of purchase funnel, building awareness and interest, creating demands for our clients' products and services. So I think it's very important that they're very clear about um, you know, what they're using content for. Um, I guess it's again, and as I said before, about making very clear about which channel they're going to use, you know, how, how, how they can make sure they've got a decent story because you can, you can do a fantastic video or can look great, but if, if, if the story being told doesn't do the job, then it won't have the impact that they're looking for. So, I mean, we're certainly seeing that our clients obviously are going for multi-channel strategies and they're looking to use um, a variety of channels, website, podcast, videos, animation, social media, um along with along with with print channels but they've got to make sure they keep their story really clear and really strong and in terms of covid we, we've touched on that already briefly you, you say that demand for your services has actually gone up as a result of covid um has it impacted your the, the nature of what they want in any other ways yeah no, i mean i don't it, it wasn't a it wasn't a perfect story we certainly had a um a kind of a, a a sales dip in the first few months um last year we had some clients in the hospitality sporting retail sectors where there was there was some some they wanted to cut back in some of the areas that that some of the work that we were doing for them perhaps not necessarily so much for the um in the membership publishing area but in other areas of our business and the advertising sales we offer we have an eight strong oh bigger than that media sales team here and um we saw we saw a, a, a far a, a significant dip in some of those sectors in the first few months. I'm pleased to say that you know a lot of that has 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 come back. Um, we're certainly in much better shape now than we were um, were 12 months ago. Um, but I guess yeah, I think I think it's been really interesting. I think a lot of our I think COVID, as in every single industry, every single sector, has forced organisations to just start again and look at everything they're doing. So I think it's it's been an interesting exercise for the clients that we work with are actually sort of stopping and saying, hang on, you know, let's just ask ourselves a few questions, go back to the first principles, which I think is a really, really healthy and really important process to go through. 
Um, and as I say, we are actually finding that, you know, it's so important to keep communicating this time. So we see that as a real opportunity for us. We've also, as an agency, we've benefited from, um, I guess, through COVID, some of the outputs of that. We we did a lot of work um, during the sort of the, the between April and June in 2020 with a with a firm doing some content marketing for a firm that prom- promotes remote working so they were looking for um for some output a- around that to pr- promote there they saw that as a real opportunity that came fast and they're expecting so that was good for us and then also we're doing we've worked with um local authorities in in particularly in Cambridgeshire for a, for a number of years and we've worked with them on a number of public health campaigns so one campaign called stand firm which was a video campaign encouraging people to to stick with the rules and stick with the guidance and you know stay inside basically um and we're now working on a on a project to in, to encourage people to take to take the vaccine so um that's been really interesting work and um i guess we've we've benefited you know in an area for us public health which we hadn't necessarily been wor- working in before where we're really i feel we're developing a bit of a some expertise which could be really interesting for the future and in terms of the delivery of your services, presumably like, you know, all other publishers, you all your staff were dispersed to their, their homes. What were the particular challenges you faced, you know, delivering the services and the content for your clients with everyone no longer in the office? Yeah, we th- th- that word pivot was definitely being used a lot last um, March <laughs> yes. 2020. Um, yeah, I think I mean, I'm really proud of uh, of how everybody did in that in, in that period. And we... Um, we certainly did move um, move home, and and basically the vast majority of people have been working at home ever since. And um, I think if you speak to any of our clients, they'll say it didn't really lead to any disruption in their service at all. So we did a really, really good job in that in that period. Um, you know, obviously, as with everybody, it's been it's really interesting to assess um, what it will mean for us as a business. Um, we're kind of we're, we're, we're trying to we're really looking at that at the moment like everybody else i've um we've actually just signed a new long-term lease in our office so um from my point of view i'm quite keen that people will come back into the office and our, our thinking is as with most people that we'll be a hybrid and it'll be a balance i think we've found that in terms of efficiency um and in terms of productivity it's had very little impact at all if anything i think probably people feel they're more efficient and more productive and certainly they've sort of got some time back in their day when they're not traveling into the office but but we're really aware that um that there's real opportunities to that we may be missing out on in terms of collaboration and some of that um you know taking our work from good to great i guess in terms of real excellence and real creativity that we're missing because we haven't got people all together in one place so is that how you see the the role of the office because it sounds like some kind of hybrid approach is going to be commonly adopted where do you see the value of the office um being yeah i definitely i mean i think it's really really important we we think and talk at cpl quite a lot, lot about our kind of company culture and it's amazing how much of that comes from the place and or how much of it came from the place i guess i we i should say bearing in mind that the last year when when hardly anybody's been coming to the office very regularly um but we certainly want to um have a situation where people are seeing each other face to face um you know I, I think it's been really interesting we've all used different tools um sort of digital tea working technology has been really really good um the risk is that you kind of 
get I think people have been communicating very well with their own teams but the you do get into a silo mentality and the kind of sharing of knowledge and sharing of expertise can can miss out so I'm, I, I definitely see us working um, you know getting that balance right where I think like a lot of organizations we sort of probably see the office for that kind of heads up and heads together opportunities when when people can can collaborate and can share information and then the heads down side when you just want to get on and get something written or get on and do a bit of coding will be will probably be better done from home so it's just working out how we do that but culturally it's been a real change I think we had a perhaps we had a few people here who believe that if someone wasn't in the office right next door to them they couldn't be working and that's uh, you know that was might have been the case two or three years ago that might have been a belief but that belief has completely been dispelled now so I think that's actually really, really healthy. Well, I think it's going to lead to hopefully a healthier work-life balance for many people. Yeah, and that's certainly, I mean, we've, as as lots of organisations are doing, we've, we're, we're really closely kind of looking to monitor our kind of um, emotional and mental health of our employees. We've been regularly sort of surveying and, and getting feedback. And I think a lot of people have said they they appreciate the fact that they're, they're not spending half an hour, 45 minutes getting into work at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, or for some of them, it's longer. So um, I think, I hope that that can happen, but obviously we've got to be very careful about the risks of people never getting away from their laptops, never getting away from work. And we do have, you know, some employ- for some people, it's they have really nice working environments at home, but for others, it's, it's harder. They might be working in smaller bedrooms or whatever it is. So it's quite a challenge. So, but I hope that, I hope that, we can get that work-life balance right, and we're certainly um, really focused on fo- focused on thinking about that. One of the interesting things is that we've worked out the other day that ten um, percent of our employees have started at CPL during COVID. Um, so that's you know that's sort of a reminder in terms of that, that this is affecting a lot of people. And you know, I, I think it's really hard to start a job in, at the moment. But um, they're actually very positive about the company culture, but. You do have to work very hard to make sure that. Um, I was about that, to say. I mean, how, how do you how do you go through the onboarding process with somebody remotely? I mean, obviously, a lot of companies have had to do that. What 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 did you find has worked and maybe not worked? I think um, it's actually something the, the whole onboarding process is something we've really stepped up generally in the last two or three years, and then in the COVID period, um, we've we've sort of focused on it even more. We actually did a. A session the other day where we kind of sat down or sat down remotely sadly with all the people who have started in the last in the last year to get their feedback on how how that had gone and how the onboarding process went and they were they were they were generally they were very positive we're we're pretty as we should be we're pretty big on communications here we have we have weekly all company meetings and we really encourage um team meetings and one-to-ones and that that that, that process should be happening um so you know, it's important. It's not just what you get on your first day, but it's how that's sort of reinforced over the next few weeks um, and months. But um, it's definitely something to think about. And um, I'm very conscious of it. My my son has started in a role in the past year for the first time he's ever had a, an office job, um, first, you know, a full-time job, basically. And um, it's not easy when you're doing that from your from your bedroom at home. Just those small things like, you know, how the email works or some really basic things can become much more challenging. So I think it's, um, you have to just work really, really hard to um, support people. It's very, That's very right. Important. And I suppose all those, those normal things, you know, going out for a drink after work in the early days, those are 
obviously not possible at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's that's something that you've, you know, I'm really encouraging now that now that we're allowed to at least to go, at least we get into pub gardens and, uh, at the moment, <laughs> the, t- the time that's of recording. Um, I'm, I'm encouraging our teams to really make an effort to, to take opportunities to see each other face to face and to, to make that happen. But yeah, just it's just all the smaller stuff and the kind of, you know, we have a, we have got water coolers here. The water cooler conversations and the conversations you, you know, in the kitchen that that you don't get when you're um, when you're starting from home. And I've, I guess it's seeing my son in that situation has sort of raised has raised that for me. But um, yeah, to I be think revi- it's... to be revived soon, hopefully. Well, absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, one, one thing membership organisations, in fact, publishers in general, agonise over is, is how much content to make freely available, and you know how much to put behind a paywall. Um, where do you typically draw the line and what are the considerations? We actually produced reports specifically looking at this a few years ago called the content conundrum um, and, and sort of getting views of different membership organisations, which, which do take different approaches. Personally, I've always argued strongly that membership organisations should see their content as an asset that they should make widely available. Um, but But obviously not all of our clients agree with me for for many of them their magazine is their number one member benefit and that is absolutely still the case so there's a there's a, there's perhaps a justified fear that that if they make it available to non-members it will lead to a reduction in in in, a, in their membership numbers so people just think well you know from the magazines it's no longer a benefit but actually well i think i can see why they have that concern but i don't it certainly hasn't been borne out by reality the with the organizations we work with um, I think you can also, the great thing is I think this is an opportunity where you can differentiate between print and digital content. So, for example, what we say to our clients is, look, make the print version something special that goes to members only, Thinking, think about how it's presented, really think about the kind of the look and feel of it, the form of it, the, 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 the high quality of it and make it, make it feel like it's something special that will go to members only and it feels like a real benefit. But then the digital versions of that content share it as widely as you can, because you know, from my point of view, especially if they've um, outsourced the, the, the creation of it to an agency like ours and you're investing in getting professional journalists to write and design this great content, you know, in many ways, it seems a shame to then hide it behind a paywall. So I think it, it, it is an ongoing debate, but I think increasingly um, organisations are seeing that actually some of the sort of traditional um, membership magazine content they're creating or customer magazine content they're creating is as good as anything else they create then they can use it to get out there and um, present themselves to a wider audience um, and present the, you know as an engaging authoritative content that can be used really widely so I think that's certainly where where we encourage our clients to go. I mean do, do some of your clients you know have a paywall and allow let's say five articles per month or is that not really No that is yeah that do? is a model they use and lots of them use that very effectively and I you know and some of them say that we'll make the current some of them say we'll make the current magazine but not available to everybody but not the previous ones others do it the other way around <laughs> and right. then make yeah. the previous ones available but not the current ones so I think you know there's definitely it's probably not an all it doesn't have to be an all or nothing scenario but um you know, my my view is that you know, obviously, you've got this content, you've got social media channels by which you can promote it. Um, then get out there and do it. So, um, and I th- I think that's 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 a big way to go. And in terms of data, we're all using data more um, increasingly in our operations. Um, 
some some companies struggle with it more than others. I think some companies are probably awash with it, but don't know quite where to start. <laughs> uh, are, there, are there any, hurd- what are the hurdles your, your customers face in making better use of data? Yeah, we look, we, we did a, 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 the second report after the content conundrum. We did another one called the content connection, um, which looked among some things, looked at how, how our, how customers are using data. Um, a lot of them acknowledged it, they weren't using it very well, that it was it was rarely shared in their organization and fewer than half um, said they had access to the data they wanted when they needed it. Um, it felt to us that they weren't using data effectively to kind of identify the members who would respond to specific types of content um, and also to think about, you know, how can we focus on members, for example, who who might be looking like they might be likely to leave the organization. If we've got that information, how can we, you know, get them content that's really going to encourage them to stay? Um, but, I, you know, it's not all bad news. I think one of the things about the whole GDPR was that it's forced um, everybody to clean up their data. And we see a lot of our customers saying, even though, they, for example, they might be sending fewer e e-newsletters out um, or mail shots out they're getting much better responses from them from the commercial aspects so um, I think there's actually you know there's some there's some interesting developments there one professional body we work with had to cut in half the number of recipients who who received their commercial solus emails but they're getting really good cut through and actually better response than they were getting before so you know I I think it's not all bad news I guess you know if you're going to use your data well um, I think there's just some simple steps that can be taken sometimes and just doing some test and learn stuff and segmenting your email lists, you know, in, around the areas of special interest are, are real opportunities to do that. And certainly I think we could certainly be encouraging our clients to do that more and, and pushing them down that route more. So you think for, for companies which are just, you know, drowning in data, it, it's, it's, it, are those the kind of things they should start, you know, start small and, and build? I think for, I mean, I think, you know, obviously it does depend on the organization and how kind of, mature they in terms of the data they have how how they how they're managing that and using it but i think some of the organizations we work with are not that big themselves so for me i would just be saying you know keep it simple and go for a few simple wins rather than um getting yourself too bogged down in in making in complexity really um but i think for some it just feels very very daunting that sounds good advice. So, so looking to the future, where, where do you see the main opportunities for customer media businesses like yours? I guess, yeah, I think we're. this is one of the things that I said earlier, we're going to next, spend the next few months kind of reassessing what our, um, having hit the, having hit our sort of four-year plan on our management buyout, reassessing what our, what our next priorities are. Um, we've got a document called Our Story, which kind of sets out what we stand for, where we're going and how we're, how we're going to get there. And we're going to start again with that, really, and really try and go back to first principles and ask ourselves some basic questions about what we want to be, um, because there's a lot of opportunities, I believe, for organisations. Um, we want to make sure we go for the right ones. Um, we, it's really important for, for CPL specifically. We don't lose sight of our of our USPs, and I think that's the kind of the, the journalistic skills, uh, the, the, the word storytelling gets overused in this sort of context, but the storytelling skills um is really really important i don't want to lose the spirit of this agency but we are you know the, what what we're doing now is across a much broader spectrum now the type of content we're creating and also we're doing the the fact that we really refer to ourselves as a content marketing agency 
you know we're doing in, in some cases we're we're absolutely doing kind of almost traditional above the line advertising stuff in some situations so i think there's a real opportunity to um to grow our business but we need to make sure we're very clear about what our offer is um we're very you know our customers work across a lot of different sectors have a lot of different specialisms but um the great thing for us is that the one thing they definitely have in common is they need to communicate effectively and um we've got the skills and disciplines to help them do that so i think as long as we um, make sure that we value those skills and we make sure our current and potential clients value those skills i think we've got a real opportunity and are you excited about the future yeah i really am i think um we've as i say we've been very focused on um hitting some numbers to um to to complete this management buyout and i think now there's there's some more opportunities opening up for us i think we have a really talented team here um we've you know we've 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 had some great people who've worked with cpl over the last 25 years and some of them have been some of them are still here and have been with us through all that time and then we've had others who've come in more recently who are bringing fresh disciplines fresh perspectives um, and I think that's really, really exciting and um, offers a real opportunity for us um, that, that that we can build on. I feel like, you know, we're, we're going from a position of strength, which is really, really good. But, you know, we, we can't take anything for granted. A lot of our work is with retained clients and um, we have kind of long term contracts, but they're they come rolling around and you need to make sure you're retaining those and you're winning new business all the time. And that's got to be a big focus for us as well. But I actually feel very positive about where we stand at the moment um, when I see the, the quality of work we're doing and the different types of work we're doing and the people who are delivering it on behalf of our clients. Uh, Mike, uh, finally, a question we ask all our guests on the podcast. Um, outside of work, how do you relax? <laughs> well, Do you relax? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, one thing I do, I, I play, um, I, well, summer's here and I'm, I'm playing cricket again for a club in, club in Cambridge. Um, but I don't know if it's actually. I think if you saw me on the field, I don't know if any of the if any of my fellow players would say I'm actually relaxed. But um, when I'm on the field, <laughs> but um, it is definitely something different. Um, so that's something I do. Um, I also do quite a lot of running. Um, I've done two marathons in the last five or six years, and I'm, I'm taking part in the Cambridge Half Marathon in October, which um, I'm mainly looking forward to. I don't particularly enjoy the training, but I, I enjoy it when it's over. Um, that sounds exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and tell me, with cricket, not, not that I'm a cricket player, but um, for those who are, what, what, what positions do you play? Or do you bowl, bat? or? Um, for those who, who, those who know about cricket, I'm sort <laughs> of, I'm employing the, the Mike Brearley role, which is not necessarily doing much, bit, but, but captaining people and um, telling people where to stand, which I quite enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to do on a cricket field than it is at work sometimes. Um, so yeah, no, I, I bat a bit and I bowl a bit and, um, and, um, there's some lovely places to play cricket in Cambridge. We're very lucky to play on some college grounds, which is, which is, which is great. So, um, it's, it's, it's good fun. Sounds a beautiful part of the world. Mike Sewell, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Really enjoyed it. We would like to thank Advantage CS again for sponsoring this podcast. Advantage CS has been developing subscription management solutions for the information industry since 1979. The comprehensive functionality, adaptability and scalability of its software 
helps leading publishers around the world manage their businesses more effectively. Find out more at AdvantageCS.com. Many thanks to Mike for giving us an insight into his plans for CPL. I liked his emphasis on clear objective setting and great storytelling. The content connection report, which Mike referred to, can be downloaded from their website. Go to www.cpl.co.uk forward slash the content connection. You can also find out more about CPL and what they do from their website. You can check out previous editions of the In Publishing podcast at inpublishing.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And we can be contacted by email at editorial at inpublishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening and do join me in two weeks' time for another In Publishing podcast when my guest will be Ed Walker, Audience and Content Director at Reach. Bye for now. <laughs>